Spirit came in manhood. Vigorous, prime. But still he found no welcome. The man said, No time. No time for true repentance. No time to think or pray. And so saddened, the Spirit went away. The Spirit came, the man was old and sick. He scarcely heard the whisper. His heart was cold and still. Go away! Leave me! When I need thee, I'll call thee. And he's sinking into his pillow without hope. He died. The call of God is one of the most gracious, glorious calls anyone could ever receive. The call of God cannot be mistaken as well as call you don't want to miss. The call of God is a personal call. When God calls, He don't send a telegram or a pigeon or a messenger. His call is divine, deliberate, and definite. The call of God is a powerful call. It's a call of God that called this world into existence. It was the call of God that Changed history forever. It was the call of God that spoke to us in salvation. It's a powerful call. The call of God's a practical call. When God calls us, it's for a purpose. He's not just playing games. He's not just going through the routine. He's not just, like my daddy used to say, He's not talking just to hear his head roar. <laughs> Dad used to say, I'm not talking just to hear my head roar. And I thought when I was a little boy so many times, well, your head wouldn't war- roar if you quit talking. But I didn't dare say that. It's a practical call. It's called salvation and submission and sympathy and service. So God doesn't call just to be making a call. Have you had somebody call you before and and they're not wanting to talk about anything, they just want to talk. So we find that God doesn't do that. When He calls, it's with a practical purpose. He calls is a precious call. Cause for a number of reasons, but none more important than the fact that God doesn't have to call us. Three times in Hebrews 3 and 4, the admonition is, Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Today, if you hear Him, don't harden your heart. That voice. Revelator said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and he will sup with him and he with me. Isaiah 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
But Proverbs chapter 1 tells us an amazing fact that God said, not the preacher said, not the Sunday school teacher said, God said, there can come to a place in our lives when we know truth and we push that truth away. No, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. And push it away. And push it away. And push it away. To finally God comes to a place. He says, then, I want you to understand, this is not the act of a tyrant. God's not a tyrant. All his thens are very long. And he's long suffering. His then is when he comes by on a church pew like today and says, You know what the word of God is. You know what you should do. You know what I've said to you. Then is whenever he wakes you up in the midnight hour and says, I need to talk to you about a matter. Then is whenever you bow to pray and, and God says, I can't talk right now. You've got to get some things right and your heart is not fit to talk with me. And you pray and, and the heavens are brass and you say, what's wrong, God? And he begins to talk to you and share with you. The then, the then... Then it's when he chooses to put your life on stop to say, Hey, will you listen to me now? Can I talk to you now? How many understand sometimes? And I must say, men are probably worse than anyone for this. You've been running 100 miles an hour. And God's got to slam the brakes on, say, Stop! God, something I want to say to you. Now, I can't get you to listen. No other way. That's not the act of a tyrant. That's the act of a loving, kind, gracious God that says, I need to talk to you. Are you listening? Are you listening? I need to talk to you. I need your attention. I need your attention. It's not the act of a God that hates you. It's the act of a God that loves you. Because when it gets to the point, God says... I'm not going to answer. I'm going to let that call go to voicemail. I'm not going to answer. We've all found ourselves in that kind of place. And so tonight, this morning, God outlines three conditions that will cause him not to call back. Let me... Let me 
pleading with you. Why did God do this to me? He didn't do anything to you. God's trying lovingly and kindly to get your attention. When I was a young man and I started driving, I had a new car and one day my daddy went out to the car and he smelt beer in my car. Now, God is my witness. I didn't drink, and, but a boy had walked up to the side of the door and he spilt it inside the car. And my daddy did something that was unbelievable. He, he told me to park my car beside the road down there and bring him the keys. So I took him the keys. He said, and I said, well, will you at least tell me why you're taking my keys? He said, yes, sir, I'll be glad to. He said, you're not going to drink and drive in that car. And I said, daddy, I wasn't drinking. I, so-and-so, he, he, poured, he said, son, that's too close to it. And I suggest that you don't get close to people drinking. Now, me and you can go in the back of the building. If you take the keys from me, you can drive it. Oh, I don't want to be crazy. I, I don't want to be crazy. Beat my head off. And you know, he kept my car parked and made me wash it every week for over a month. And when he handed my keys back, he said, Dad, he said, son, I would suggest that you let it, never let it get close because if I smell it again, I'll take the car away from you. What are you saying? It wasn't a father that hated me. My daddy didn't hate me. He didn't do nothing to me. He didn't hurt me. What he's doing is getting my attention that this could hurt me. So let me examine three powerful things. First of all, in the Proverbs chapter number one, God says, get real. Get real. Greek philosopher Zeno coined the phrase, the reason we have two ears and one mouth is that we may listen more and talk the less. The great tragedy of our day is this. People don't want to hear the things they really need to, to hear. God is trying to speak in chapter number one. And he's trying to speak with, with this wording in great powerful wisdom. Great powerful wisdom. What is wisdom, preacher? Well, it is this. Wisdom is a, a, like a friend to guide us. Proverbs 1, 2 said, To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discernment. Proverbs 1, 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fool despise wisdom and instruction. God said you need to get real and understand that God is giving wisdom. It's like a friend. It's like a friend to guide us. God says wisdom is simply this. It is having a knowledge of something and putting it to use. It's not just knowing something. It's not just knowing something. It's knowing how to put to use what you do know. It is, it is taking the ability of something, a truth that you already know is true. How many believe the Word of God's true? Amen? 
Amen. I, I don't know how, a better illustration than this. Forsaken not the assembling of ourselves together. Moreover, as the last days approach. How many believe that's God's word? Amen. Wisdom is understanding what God was saying and for your good to be found faithful at the house of God. God's not wanting you to come just to sake of coming or just because He says you ought to and because He's wanting to take something from you. My God, help us. God, help us from this crowd that thinks God is always demanding and taking from me what it is you're probably lost and you love the world more than you love God. Just get honest. Get real. Get real. Get real. Boy, the word beginning denotes the word rank. It speaks of what's going to be first in your life. Notice the order. To fear the Lord, we must know the Lord. To know the Lord, not know about the Lord. A lot of people know about the Lord. But they don't know the Lord. To fear the Lord, we must know the Lord. To know the Lord, we must trust the Lord. That means everything He says is Word. I'm going to believe. I'm not going to justify it or pop it up with my opinion or what I think. I believe what you believe don't mean nothing if it don't, you can't back it up by God's word. It's worthless. So we find to fear the Lord, I must know the Lord. To know the Lord, I must trust the Lord. And to trust the Lord, I must obey the Lord. That simply says, when God says something, just do it. Oh my, oh God help us. The evil heart of unbelief that tries to justify disobedience. Oh God help us. God help us. The evil heart of unbelief that tries to justify to make right what God has already said is disobedience. We're like the little boy. Can I have a cookie? No, you can't have a cookie. You walk in the room and walk back, he's up in a, in a, in a, in a chair, hand in the cookie jar. What are you doing? I'm getting a cookie for you. No. Now you've had a lie into it. That's where we are. Trying to justify. So wisdom, true wisdom is to fear the Lord and obey His commandments. And not to, now, if that's true, then the opposite is true. Someone who does not fear the Lord is someone who does not know the Lord. Someone who does not know the Lord is someone who will not trust the Lord. Do you get that? It's just the opposite. Someone who does not fear the Lord is someone who does not know the Lord. 
Someone who does not know the Lord is someone who does not trust the Lord. Boy, that helped me. I'm always trying to push and drag and, 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 and shove as much to people. Trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord. Yet I really begun to realize if they don't fear the Lord, they don't know the Lord. How can they trust someone they don't know? How in the world can they trust someone they don't know? Then if they don't trust Him, how can they obey Him? If they don't fear Him, don't know Him, don't trust Him, how in the world can they obey Him? So wisdom is like a friend to guide us. Wisdom is like a fortune to grace us. Proverb writer said this, They shall be an ornament of grace in thy head and chains about thy neck. Proverbs 2, 4, Thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hidden treasure. Talking about wisdom. Proverbs 3, 14, For the merchandise of this is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things thou canst desire are not compared unto her. Talking about wisdom. Proverbs 4, 8, Exalt her. And she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Wisdom, all through the Bible, and it brings great wealth and fortune. We're a lot like this feller. Husband went to a perfume counter to buy his wife a gift. She showed him a bottle that cost $50. He said, that's a bit much. So she returned with a smaller bottle. said, $30. Well, that's still quite a bit. So he bought another bottle of $15. Finally, he said, I'd like to see something really cheap. And she handed him a mirror. <laughs> that's the way we are. That's exactly the way we are. An unknown writer said, the book... The book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and happiness of the believers. I say amen. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, and food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. Here paradise is restored, heaven's open, the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good is its design and the glory of God its end. Boy, the Bible says wisdom is like a friend to guide us, like a fortune to grace us. It's like a father to guard us. The key words in the book of Proverbs just to my son, my son. She's 23 times in the book of Proverbs, my son. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake the not the law of thy mother. Proverbs 1.10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Boy, I, I was thinking about my dad, and boy, I tell you, I, I love talking to him. I love talking to him. I mean, listen, he, and God says, I'm liking wisdom, is like a father. He said it's, it, it, it's words of, it's a voice of reason and 
recognition and realization and reality. My daddy never pulled punches with me. The Bible says wisdom's like that. Then he said, get real. We need to get real. Number two, we need to get right. When we understand when wisdom is given, where wisdom is given, God said we just need to get right. It's not a matter of getting God on our side, but it's a matter of, of us getting on God's side. God's side's not going to change. Did you hear that? God's side is not going to change. God's not going to conform or change to your opinion, your ideals, your thinking. I'm amazed. I believe. May I say, you believe something doesn't make it gospel. The Word of God is the gospel. Oh, we find. It says the rule book is called God's Word. And when you're crucified for the sins of the world, when you die on a cross, when you're raised from the dead three days later, you can write your own rule book. Let me say that again. When you've died on a cross, when you've given yourselves for the sins of mankind, when you raised yourself after three days, you get to write your own rule book. But until then, he's got the rule book. Solomon draws three pictures of those who are not right. And here's what's sad. I want you to listen to me. It's so sad. And I hope you're not here. I hope, I hope you're not here. But if you are, you'll listen. Of those that were not right and would not get right. Slothful in their refusal. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorner delight in the scorning, and the fool hate knowledge. There's three categories of people here. And those, and I hope not, I, I hope, I, I pray not, but I got, I, I got a, a sneak in the hunch. There's probably some that are not riding, and I'm not getting right. Refuse to get right. Well, you're in one of these three categories if you're in that place. Now I say the simple ones speaks of being easily seduced, gullible. Bible Proverbs 14, 15 said, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his goings. Simple is gullible. They'll believe anything the world or devil tells them. Simple man doesn't think for himself but allows others to shape his thinking, ideals, and opinions. Then there's the shameful with the ridicule. Scorner. Scorner means to make mouth. Scorner is one who mocks and laughs and ridicules the ways of God, the wisdom of God, the will of God, and the word of God. The simple man is naive because he knows nothing. He don't know anything. But the scorner believes, and he knows everything. And he mocks the things that are really important. The scorner refuses to see the truth because he's already drawn a conclusion about the truth. Listen to me. 
the scorner. I know what's right. You ain't going to tell me nothing. He's already drawn a conclusion about the truth. And you're not going to change his mind about that. About that. He's only he's proud. Oh God, he's arrogant. He's arrogant. I know him. You're not going to tell me nothing. I know what's right. I know what I believe. I know I, 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 I know it's right. I'm going to tell you, I've met folks like that. And I'm going to tell you, you can't help them. If God don't touch your heart, you're not going to help them. Then we see sinful in the rejection. The fool is one who is stubborn and has chosen to harden his neck to the truth. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Seest thou a wise man in his own conceit, there is more hope for a fool than him. This is in Bible, Warren Wisby says, Fools enjoy their foolishness, but don't know how foolish they are. I love this. I thought of you, Miss Karen, when I read this. A fellow stormed up to the front desk of the library and said, I have a complaint. I borrowed a book last week and it was horrible. Puzzled library and that's what was wrong with it. It had way too many characters and there was no plot whatsoever. The library nodded, so you must be the person who took our phone book. <laughs> this man calls, God calls a fool. God calls him a fool. God says he's a fool. Just stiffens that neck. Nobody will tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. Nobody will tell me. I'm going to tell you something. Well, that God calls him a fool. Now, they can't plead ignorance or negligence. Truth is, God's given them choice. That then, remember... The then, the then. How many times has God dealt? How many times has God wooed? How many times has God pleaded? How many times God has come plead? How many times God stopped their life midstream? Just please don't stop and said, I want to talk to you. But when they got better, said, No! I'll do what I want to do. You ain't telling me what to do. I'm not going to listen to nothing or no one. A fool. God says get real. Then God says get right. No, oh, I pray. God, I prayed. I prayed all morning. God, you're not in that place. But if you are, then get ready. Then get ready. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you and will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have, sought, but you have said it not all my counsel and will none of my reproof. I also will laugh 
I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. God said, I pleaded, I begged, I've given you truth after truth. I've done everything to shake your world. I've done everything to get your attention. I've done everything I could possibly to get your attention. But you shoved me away time and time and time and time and time and love this world and love the things of this world and consistently. So God said, get ready. Perilous days are coming. That word calamity means misfortune or ruin. Proverbs 1, 27, When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh out of whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, it'll be an unwelcome time, an uncomfortable time, and an unfortunate time. God, listen, why would God do that? Because he loves you. But you've left him no recourse. You've left him no recourse. You, by your choices and a rebellion, have said no to God so many times. And you choose not to get real and not to get right. He says, I'll move to extreme measures because I want to get your attention. How does he happen? Fear, desolation, destruction as a whirlwind. Perilous days could be sickness, sorrow, trouble, travail, loss. Perilous days could be a form of conviction and chastisement, but it is for the purpose of correction. Hear me and hear me well. God knows every one of our lives the very button to push to get your attention. I said, God knows. See, we think we know. Boy, I tell you, boy, I tell you, after that's happened, will that get right with God now? That might not be in the the button. But God knows the very button to push in your life. I've watched God get attention through parents and through children. I've seen seen God get their attention through uh, heartache and tears. When God's call is continuously refused, ridiculed, and rejected, a perilous day is coming. Number two, a proud denial. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine this. But if you're in that place this morning and you reject God, you'll get more honing and mad and angry and proud. No! 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 And literally you're saying that to God. It's the only help 
that you got. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Especially for us men. Perk up your ears. You think it's your job to protect and care for your family. And to a certain extent it is. But you better get a hold of something real, right, real, real. If you don't get God in the center of that thing, you can't protect nothing. God's in charge of this business. And a good, wise man will recognize his uh, inabilities and recognize God's ability far greater than anything you'll ever do or say. Proud denial. It may be the most demanding judgment of all. God quit speaking. God simply says, then shall they call me, but I will not hear answer. They shall, not, they shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. I believe at this point, God's to the, to the point. I hate to use this illustration, but it, is, but it works. You can understand it. We was building the fellowship hall, and I deal with a manager. And the whole time we built that thing, he, I mean, just one lie after another, after another, after another. Every time, I think every time his mouth flew open, he told a lie. I, I couldn't get a truth out of him. And towards the end of that building process, I, I literally come to a place that I wouldn't take his cause. I just simply said, I'm not talking to him. I'm not talking to him. I just refused to talk to him. If I made a mistake and answered and heard it was him, he, I didn't recognize the number, I'd hang up on him. I just, I just wouldn't talk to him. Because he had pushed to that limit. That he just, that he just, everything he said was a lie. And I believe with God, we, again, don't, don't you leave out saying, God's a tyrant, he hates me, he's right ready to pounce on me with a club. That's not the case. That's, you're, you're misjudging God. You're, you're mis, you're, you're, you're misthinking God. No, no, no. It's a loving God that tries and begs and pleads. But we just simply say, no, God, I'm not. And we come to that deadlines. I believe there's three deadlines in God's Word. Deadline number one, speaking, God speaking against the Holy Ghost to God. Attributing what God's doing to the devil. Okay, let me help you. Let me help you. Everybody slap yourself and look this way. You would be wise. You would be awfully wise not to be critical of God's work or God's man. I mean, I just keep my mouth shut. You're a whole lot better off. Deadline number two, send away your dead grace. That's this morning if you're here lost. That's here this morning you're here lost, but you're playing the game. I mean, you may be a church member, but you're playing the game. You might be in position, but you're playing the game. Being lost and, and shoving God, saying, no, not today, not today, God, not today. I'm not going to do it today, God, not today. And pushing that thing away till you die and you send away your dead grace and you wind up in hell forever. But then there's number three, a sin unto death. 
If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that, that sin unto death. But there is a sin unto death. I do not say he should pray for it. Sin unto death is to backslide after God has made every effort possible to bring you back. And you refuse a final time. You refuse a final time. And God says, "Mm, that's it. Deadline number one and two can all be crossed by an unbelieving sinner. But deadline number three can be crossed by an unrepentant saint. J. Hal Smith was famous for his message on God's three deadlines. He tells of a story of a man in spite of the, of the many calls from God to surrender his life to Christ, always refused. One night in a revival meeting, God had laid on uh, an overwhelming burden on his heart for this young man. The preacher walked down off the platform down the aisle and begged the young man to come to Jesus. The young man looked in the face of J. Hal Smith and said, You and your Jesus can go straight to... You know where? I came here to get a couple of girls and go to a dance. J.R. Smith come in as soon as he said that. The Holy Ghost of God spoke and leave him alone. Get away from him. Don't speak to him anymore. Next night he received a note that told him a tragic accident that had taken place involving a young man. After service, Dr. Smith went to the young man's home and as soon as he walked in the door, he could hear the young man screaming, Don't let him have me! Don't let him have me! He bowed his head and said, Son, no one's here after you. The young man cried, Don't let him have me! The devil's coming down the road. Look at that big chain he's got in his hand. Don't let him have me. He's turning in our gate. He's coming up our front steps. He's coming down the hill. He's walking to my door. He's climbing over the foot of my bed. He's wrapping a change around me. He's dragged me off to hell. Please scream. Don't let him have me. Then, then, they shall call upon me. But I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Boy, what a tragedy. But I won't tell you how loving, glorious God we have. He comes to the last verse. And God's so loving, so long suffering. So caring, so concerned about your soul. He says, I need to leave them alone. They told me no and they pushed me away. I need to leave them alone. But he comes in the, in the very last verse, said, But whosoever hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quieted from here. He said, I got, I got, I got to give them one more call. Just one more. The whosoever will hearken and means to hear and it means to do. Will hear my voice. He said, I'll keep them safe. I'll take away their fear. 
He said, I'll be their God. He said, I'll love them. He gives one last plea. One last plea. That's my God. That's my God. When, when, when mankind should have given up on us, God never does. One more time, he's given that plea this morning. He's given that plea for you. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to call? Are you going to leave here in rebellion? Are you going to leave here and just say, Nah, not today, not today, not today. And leave and find yourself in a place. Find yourself in a place that you bow on your face. Oh God, I need you. I got nobody else. Nobody else can fix this. Nobody else can touch this. I need you. God, I need you. And the heavens seem brass. And you wonder, has God heard me? If you're real and you're right, I guarantee you he hears you. But if you're not, God's giving one more call. So I'll stand to our feet, every head bowed, and every eye closed.